listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Seven or eight years ago it is now, while I was pastoring in Alberta, what looked like, by all appearances, a very successful, successful church. Attendance, statistics, baptisms, outreaches, building projects, and yet in the midst of all of that, as, as, as some of that was all building and it was kind of like we were accomplishing all of the things that we were setting out to do, there was a very strong, powerful sense of disillusionment that started to, to, to come into my life. And, and, and I would see people, and, and it was partly because of circumstances, and I would see people who started out strong in the Lord. Maybe they came to faith or they started to attend the church and, and, and would be very strong in the Lord and, and in their faith and on fire for Him, only after a short period of time, it would seem, would flame out, would become distracted with other things or walk away from the church, from fellowship altogether in hurt or in bitterness or unforgiveness. And it left me as a pastor wondering, what am I doing? Am I just part of this machine that is just kind of rolling and it's just about, you know what, as my dear friend calls it, the ABCs, attendance, buildings, and cash. Is, is that all that, that we've boiled church down to because we can program it in, in a pretty, you know what, powerful way and make it pretty successful and yet I was becoming more and more disillusioned. This, these observations and the disillusionment that came along with it caused me to start to examine God's word and, 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 and even my own calling. What am I calling people to? What is this about? Is it just a show? What do I really believe? What am I calling people to do and to be a part of here? It almost brought me to a near meltdown phase. Not that I was, you know what, going to be admitted, although probably people oftentimes think that I should be admitted for, for, for help in different areas. Um, but it, it brought me to a very strong crisis in my own walk with God and, and in my calling as a pastor. And that journey started to shape my years of ministry since then. Continually realizing that I don't have it all together continually realizing that I have much to learn and there is much work that God needs to keep doing in my own life and yet calling people to full surrender in Jesus Christ. You see, the greater the concern, the reality is that it is possible to be in church and to not truly be in Christ. To go through all the spiritual motions and not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. We can fool others, we may even fool ourselves, but in the end we will not fool God. Paul in 2 Timothy 13, he said these words, he said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, he goes on to say, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test, do you know that Jesus Christ is in you? Don't miss, don't fail the test. Because by then it will be too late. And then these words seven, eight years ago were also going through my mind and still continually whenever I hear these words, read these words, or even think of this, it gets me and it, it causes me great concern. In Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus said this in verse 21. And this is on the screen here. I want you to see it. Folks, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In this passage we are, that we're looking at today in Acts chapter 8, and I'd encourage you to turn there as we, we look through the middle part of this chapter here, um, we see this to be a very troubling story here, the story about Simon. And it points to a greater danger that is lurking even today within the Christian church. And so we're going to get into this text here and we're going to go through it and, and, and just take a look at things. But just to give you, again, the recap, the understanding where we were a little bit last week, this, the beginning of Acts chapter 8, the gospel had spread to Samaria and this was beautiful, this was amazing, this was a miraculous work that was taking place. The, the, the new church had just been in Jerusalem up until this point, but because of persecution, they were on the move. And the great thing we see here at the start of, of our text today in, in verse 9, that the gospel is available to all. It is available to the Samaritans. It is available to everyone. And, and the church was growing, the gospel was spreading, but that persecution became the catalyst for the, uh, for the movement of the church. The persecution brought productivity, which brought fruitful ministry into the life of the church. Philip Talked about him last week, ordinary guy, wasn't trained to be an apostle, wasn't one of the 12 with Jesus, ordinary guy appointed to wait on tables, ended up uh, leaving Jerusalem because of the persecution. He goes to Samaria, to Samaria and he starts, he's so full of Jesus, he cannot help but to speak about him, talk about him, share about Jesus, and he also serves among the people, and, and he was given certain power and, and able to bring healing to the people, physical healing as well as spiritual and, 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 and salvation to these people through Jesus Christ. And these people are being saved, they're being healed, the church is beginning, it's spreading in Samaria, and, and as you remember last week, the spread to Samaria, this was amazing for a Jew to come into Samaria do this and it says in chapter 8 verse 8 it says and there was exceedingly great joy in that city it was bubbling they were pumped they were enthused because the gospel the message of Jesus Christ had come people were being saved they were being baptized and so here we are in verse 9 this is where we pick it up but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was something, somebody great. I would think that if this story was, was trending today, was happening with our technology today, Simon's social media pages would be filled with a lot of selfies of him doing great and, and mighty miraculous acts in front of big crowds, and he would be taking a group shot of the people and posting that on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever it might be. He'd be doing some Snapchats of some of the incredible kind of miracles and, 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 and uh, magic arts that, that he was able to do. He had quite a fall. He, he was an amazing, amazing magician. But even Simon, the sorcerer, finds Christ. He believes. He's baptized. This is amazing. He's successful. But one thing else we see about him is that he was very self-promoting. He was very arrogant. But he had a following, and people were taking interest of him. 
In verse 10 it goes on, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. But when they believed, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So notice the references in in these few verses. You see that word amazed? Here you have the amazing Simon who's amazing the people. The amazer is now amazed himself by the power of God. He recognizes that there is this power in God through Jesus Christ that Philip has that he doesn't have. He knows there's genuine power here, and he is amazed by it, and so this is such a good story. Folks, the gospel is available to all. Even the Samaritan, people from Samaria, remember? How did the Jews pray at the end of their prayers oftentimes? Because they hated the Samaritans. They saw them as pigs. They couldn't stand them, and what would they pray oftentimes? As, as church history tells us, oh Lord, and in the resurrection, please do not remember the Samaritans. They hated them, but now the gospel is spreading to the people in Samaria, and even Simon believed and was baptized. The gospel is available to all. Simon had practiced magic arts for many years, had a great following, and his magic arts would have been a mixture of scientific knowledge, superstition, sleight of hand, but also occult power. Today, this would be equivalent to what we see, horoscopes and the use of crystals and, and, and uh, you know, just, just some of these, these things that are just, you know what, just kind of mentalist kind of things, but then there's also his power was from the occult, from Satan. And Simon practiced these magic arts and, and was this amazing magician. But even Simon recognized this greater power. It says, Simon believed and was baptized, and he continued with Philip. So he believed, he's baptized, continued with Philip, he was part of the church. He was a part of helping in the early days to establish the church there in Samaria. He was a part of the early beginnings. The guy who was once involved in occult practices is now a believer in Christ. At least that's what the text tells us. This is amazing. This is what we were singing earlier today. This is amazing grace. The gospel is available to all, even to blank. I want you to be thinking right away. I am sure there are people, there should be people coming to mind. Who are the Simons in your life? Who are those impossible people? Who are those people that you think there is no way they will ever get saved? Absolutely not. This is hopeless, useless. Not even going to pray for them. How about our prime minister? I see, um, I mean, we see even in his early, um, being just nicely sworn in, uh, we see there's a lot of criticism of him. And whether you like his policies or not, do you pray for him? Do you pray that he would come to know Jesus Christ? The gospel is available to all, even our prime minister, even those members of parliament on whatever side they fit on, that neighbor, that co-worker, that family member who is far from God and you think are so godless. What about the terrorists um, that are, are serving the ISIS cause in our world? Are we praying for them? The gospel is available to all, even who? Blank. Fill it out. Be writing down some names and start praying. 
Little later on, who was praying for Saul? Who was praying for Saul of Tarsus? Somebody must have been praying for Saul of Tarsus because we see a little later, we see in chapter 9, he gets saved. The gospel is available for all, even who? Who is it in your life? Who has God placed in your life that you can have a bridge, you can share the bridge of, of, of eternal life, the good news of Jesus Christ with him? Did you know our prime minister read this this week? We are to pray for him. God word, God's word calls us to pray to honor the king. And I read this week that as a child, as a family, grew up in a strong Roman Catholic home, that Sunday nights they would get the Bible out, they would read the Bible. Almost every night they would pray. Now you might say that's religion, that was blah, blah, blah. It was God's word that his t- father would take and read there as a family. Did you know in 1998, after his brother died in a skiing accident, he was really destroyed like in his understanding of God and different things. He accepted an invitation to attend an Alpha um, seminar in, in a church in Ottawa, or wherever he was living at the time, I believe it was Ottawa, and he attended that course. Folks, do we believe God's word? Do you believe God's word today? Okay, so if you believe God's word, then let's take and believe Isaiah 55, 11. That God's word shall not return empty, but that it shall accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. He has heard the word of God. He was taught in a simple, clear way through the Alpha Course, the truths about the gospel, about Christianity, not about religion, but what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Let's be praying that the word of God, the truths, would come alive in his life, in the life of that person that grew up going to church, who grew up, who made a commitment to Jesus Christ at at camp or, or heard the gospel presented, but so far has rejected the truth. The gospel is available to all, even blank. I hope you're filling out some names. I trust you're coming up with a list of names of people that you even think there's absolutely no way. I remember back a number of years ago, the church that we are part of, we had a building project going on and there was a construction worker who was so foul mouthed so negative that meetings were being held about having him reassigned to some other place where he wouldn't have interaction with us nice church people and especially with the, um, some of the kids in the preschool that was going on during the week uh, at our church. And, and so we were thinking, we've got to get rid of this guy. He is just so foul-mouthed, negative. We don't want him around. He just brings down the morale of the other workers down. And yet we couldn't get rid of him for whatever reason. God just said no. And as people prayed, and they prayed for those construction workers, and they showed love on them, and one way that you show love to a construction worker is through their stomach. And we fed them, and we gave them food, and, and it was a bridge to be able to share the gospel. He started asking questions. And when that building was dedicated to the glory of God, Frank was baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. The gospel can save anyone, even a Frank. And he can save that neighbor, that family member, that person who is so far off from God in your life. How about that atheist? What about the agnostic? What about the antagonist? Um, The person who just seems indifferent, the prodigal. Do we pray for them? Are we looking out for ways to reach them? That's what we are called to do. That is the mission that we are a part of. That's what Philip was doing. Persecution caused him to leave Jerusalem, the nice little comfy, clicky confines of Jerusalem, the church. I mean, it was a wonderful, a lot of kumbaya moments and and that, but now persecution came and they were on the move. And he is so full of Jesus. And we don't know his method. We don't know how he did it. But as he shared the love of Jesus, there was the power of Jesus that flowed out of him. 
This past week, Nate um, joined me at a day at work. It was in grade nine. They have this program, I guess, take your kid to school day or take, take um, your kid comes to work day. And so, so we went around, uh, Shayon and myself, and we went and, and we did some video stuff for an upcoming little video, not a movie, just a little video kind of thing that we want to show you at some point here. And so we're doing some interviewing. And, and so here we were at David's office and downtown and and we had to park uh, we parked the vehicle plugged some money in the meter ran ran in bugged David a little bit shot the video a little small talk and then it was time to get back in the vehicle and as we were getting ready to go Nate was uh, said oh just a minute and and he took some took a quarter out of his pocket and he was going to plug it in this other meter I'm like what are you doing buddy we're leaving he says no it's this person their their meter expired and I don't want them to get a ticket and and so he he, he gave him that and I said well we should really tell them, like, maybe you should write them a note and just say, hey, just so you know, we, we bought you, bought you some, some time here, you know, and while well, we were looking for, around for a piece of paper, so what did we, do? the only kind of blankish kind of piece of paper we had was a, you're invited to harvest brochure that all of you should be having in your Bibles, in your vehicles, and wherever it is, you know, and so pulled that out, and Nate wrote a little note, hey, you know what, hopefully this bought you some time, you know, saved you from getting a ticket, and by the way, you're inv- invited to harvest. Um, be cool if that person came today. Did you come today? Let's be creative in that. And, and as, we were, as we were pulling out of there, we started even thinking, hey, maybe we could do something, you know, start a ministry. How many of you have a bunch of change sitting around in your house that you just haven't taken time to roll? Come on, hands up. We want that, okay? So maybe, you know what? Maybe it's going around, blitzing the downtown. I mean, the city of Kelowna may not like it. They may not get their ticket money that they kind of bank on. But why not maybe some creative card coming up that, that you plug their meter and just say, hey, we saved you from getting a ticket. Now we want to talk to you about how you can have your soul saved by Jesus. Let's get creative. Come on. The gospel can save anyone even blank. I sure hope you've been filling that out. I see you looking at me. I don't see you looking down. I hope you're filling out, out some names there. Come on, let's get at it because, you know, we, we can talk about this thing and just say, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. Get on it. This is what we are called to do. The gospel is amazing. It can save the vilest offender, as we sing in the old hymn, who truly believes. It can save a wretch like me. The story of Simon, this is quite the story. Notice that word amazement, and, and uh, the amazer is amazed. But this is, this story doesn't have a happy ending. It comes with a sober warning for us today, and we'll return to the Simon story in a mo- few moments, but we're going to keep working through this passage. The second thing we see here is the gospel must be confirmed. In verse 14, we see, that now the apostles in Jerusalem, remember, everyone spreads out, but it said for whatever reason, last week we looked at how they stayed in Jerusalem. So it says, now the apostles, apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, and they sent to them Peter and John. The, the gospel is spreading. Peter and John come now to verify that this is an authentic work of God that is going on. Not a counterfeit, because you must be aware, folks, that whenever there is a genuine work of God, the enemy is at work. And they're coming to confirm, is this legit? Is this a, a, a true work of God? Or is this just simply a counterfeit work that is going on here? Here we see the importance, folks, of church leadership and the authority that God has given to our leaders within our church, and why God has instituted um, leadership within the body of Christ. You can just even put that up there. 
Um, something that, that must be aware of today is, is that there are the counterfeits and we need discerning men to give leadership. And this is what the apostles were doing here. As Peter and John get there, they see that the work in Samaria indeed was a genuine work. Except they notice one thing, that they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Let's read in verse 15. It says, Peter and John came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had been baptized in the name of Je- They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so what's going on here? The, the, this can be a confusing text, and it's been also very divisive over the, the centuries. Because you might be sitting here and think, well, I thought that when we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us. And, and, and now this is showing that these people had to receive the Holy Spirit after they had already believed and, and were baptized. So what's going on here? Well, the whole of Scripture, you have to look at the whole of Scripture when you're looking at, at certain subjects, and you just don't look at one verse. The, 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 what we see throughout the New Testament, many passages that teach us that the Holy Spirit comes into our life. We get the Holy Spirit at conversion when we come to Christ. Ephesians 1.13, you might want to write that down. Here, here's one of the, the verses that, that tell us about this. You heard, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And there's other verses that we see that, that the Holy Spirit comes in right at this time. But what you see here in Acts chapter 8, you also see something similar in Acts chapter 2 and then a little later on in Acts chapter 10. um, And and in Acts 2, you end up seeing that we have believers. Jesus ascended up into heaven. He said, go wait in the city. Wait there until you are clothed with power from on high. Until then, those believers, the apostles, did not have the Holy Spirit. Up until this time, Old Testament time, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for certain times, certain places. That's why even David prayed, oh, take, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit would come upon someone like um, Samson for a certain time, and then the Holy Spirit would depart from him, would empower him for certain act- activities and, and actions and ministry. But now Jesus promised, Jesus promised in his, his teaching that the Holy Spirit would come upon everyone who believed. And so in Acts chapter 2, they're waiting there. Jesus ascended. He says, go wait in the city. And, and as they're waiting in the upper room, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes and, and comes down on, in power into their lives. That was for the Jews in Jerusalem. Now we see in Acts chapter 8, we see the gospel moving into Samaria. And now this is the announcement, the declaration that the gospel is also for the Samaritans. And so we see that the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit in this very powerful and in a very distinct way. And so that the elders or the apostles have come to confirm the work of God, but also to confer the work of the Holy Spirit here and announcing that the gospel is for the Samaritans. A little later on, we see the same thing happen, a very similar to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. What did Jesus say in, in, in Acts 1.8? He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
And so here we see these announcements. In Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit, the declaration of the gospel, the Holy Spirit is for the Jew. Here we see in Acts 8 that the gospel, the Holy Spirit, is for the Samaritan. In Acts 10, we see the declaration that even the Gentiles, those pagan Gentiles, the gospel, the Holy Spirit, is for them. That's good news for us. And so we see this, and, and I trust that, that that helps to to clear up any confusion that there might be on this. And as the gospel spreads to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to us, the ends of the earth. At the inception of these advances, we see that the, it was confirmed. What did Jesus tell Peter in In Matthew 16, he says, Peter, I have given you the keys to the kingdom. You see in all these accounts, Peter was there. He was present. You see the importance of of leadership within the local church, the body of Christ, and you see the Holy Spirit come in power. Years, um, and, and, and again, just the importance of godly leadership. Three years ago, when a group of people were we're meeting and praying and seeking the Lord about the possibility and the discussion about maybe starting a church here in our city. One of the things that was vitally important and became a very important distinctive is that this couldn't just be an independent work, that it had to be under the leadership, the authority of a higher body and, and just saw the great value and the protection of, of looking at starting a church under the authority of other godly leadership and and so thankful for harvest bible fellowship and and for harvest oakville their elders i mean just the 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 way that they oversee the work here the way that we have these people who are a part of the work caring walking with us in that way and 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 we see um i've been so privileged as uh here in, at harvest Kelowna to be able to skype in, in into these elder meetings and see the humility to see these guys aren't talking about budgets and they're not talking about buildings. It's about furthering God's kingdom. It's a, there's such an attitude of humility and, and, and seeing that prayer is the engine for the church uh, by which the Holy Spirit is unleashed and, and it is a privilege to serve on an elder's team with these, with these men. And so we see the importance of leadership, but we also see this as a picture of unity for the church as well. Remember, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. And, and just the way that having Peter and John come, and again, I just love God's sense of humor um, in, in how he, he, he chooses his people. And just at times we say things, and then we later on, he's like, you're going to regret that. Because in the story, I believe it's in Luke, I, I can't remember the actual reference, I'm going to say Luke 8, but um, I, I, I stand corrected on that. When, um, when, when John was so angry at the Samaritans and the Samaritan people, he even had, had considered and even spoke out loud, well, I just wish fire would fall down on that, um, on that uh, community, on those people, and they would just be destroyed. You know, isn't it cool that the fire did fall and he, it was the Holy Spirit fire and he was a part of it. The people he once hated, now he has seen the gospel move forth and he is there to confirm the work and to confer the power of the Holy Spirit. Just love that sort of thing. And so because of the rivalry and the tension for generations, for centuries that had taken place between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, this was an important step of unity. Because for some reason, envy, rivalry, dissension is sadly one of the things that the church of Jesus Christ can easily be known for. Wouldn't you agree with that? 
that envy, rivalry, I mean, within ministries, within churches, within denominations, with other varying churches and this kind of thing. I saw this in a very dramatic way um, when I was in, 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 in college, and, and every year they would have this youth conference, and, and I grew up, just, for, just so you know this, I grew up in Saskatchewan, I'm a Saskatchewan boy, went to college in Regina, and they would have this, uh, every year, this youth conference, and you'd have young people, high school students, coming from all over the place, and for whatever reason, there would be many that would come from British Columbia. I couldn't stand the British Columbian people that would come. Yes, they were believers. They were part of the same denomination. But whenever there was a, a big gathering, you have like a thousand youth in this room and they're waiting for it to begin, they would start this chant, BC, BC, BC. You know, and then they would be so critical of us as Saskatchewan and just like, you know, just making fun of how cold and snowy. And it's just like, yeah, but you still came here for a good time. You know, but they would do this BC, BC. And, and, and you just didn't stand a chance against their arrogancy and, and that sort of thing. And, and and even in this place that was supposed to promote the love of Christ, there would be, you know what, just some, some rather unfortunate exchanges that would happen amongst them. And, and again, God's sense of humor, he sends me as a missionary to British Columbia in my latter uh, years of ministry here. You know, like, I mean, just God, I mean, it's just so funny how it works. But envy, rivalry, these kind of things happen. Even, even this May, uh, we went with our kids to a youth conference in in Edmonton, a big YC event, and, and Charlotte went to most of it, but then I, I spelled her off and went one evening with our kids and with some other uh, folks that we knew, and, and even when I was going there, I thought, oh, I sure hope they don't do this. This is the lame-o thing about Christian events that I just find very lame, and they did it. Go ahead and show them. Yeah, so you get the, kind of get what's going on here, back and forth, irritating, and you know, like, yeah, we're louder than they are, and so envy, rivalry, just, I mean, it's part of our nature, and sadly, it can be one of the attributes within the church of Jesus Christ amongst us as believers, and there was no way that God, our Heavenly Father, when he was, was instituting this church age, would want to see any kind of, well, we have the Holy Spirit, yes, we do, but we have the Holy Spirit, how about you? And, and because they had their own temples before this and, and they worshiped a God, but kind of a different version of, of Yahweh God than what the Jews did. And so here we see this as bringing unity. The, the Holy Spirit would bring unity. In, and so that's why the apostles were a part of this. So let's continue on here with this passage. So we see the gospel must be confirmed, but then we also see the importance of church leadership, but then we also see that truth and time go hand in hand. In Matthew 12, 24, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what eventually, and what we are storing up on the inside of us eventually spills out. This can be positive, but this can also be very, very negative. It can be very truth-telling. It can be very tragic. For Simon, he looked like the real deal. He believed. He was baptized. He, he, he was a part of 
the new church that was being established there in, in the Sumerian town. But now we get a picture of what's really going on in his heart in verse 18. And it says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. It was the abundance in Simon's heart that was exposed here. He was wanting to buy the Holy Spirit's power. It's kind of like, uh, Peter, I'll take uh, the Holy Spirit for 500, please. You know, or, 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 or how about 1,000? I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I've got money. Money's not a problem here. I'd love some of that power. Simon was more interested in the fame and the fortune rather than the reality of who Christ was. He saw Christianity as something that would further his personal ambitions. That, and, and, and what he was doing was desiring the sign of God, the sign of the Holy Spirit, rather than the Savior himself, rather than the Holy Spirit as well. Simon believed and was baptized, and yet he never truly saw the ugliness of his own sin. And we see that a little later here in this passage. And we see it through the testimony of his life in the years ahead. He didn't see the need for repentance. He, he didn't understand or see the glory of the gospel and the forgiveness that, that is available to him through Christ. He saw money. He saw power. And he's like, I want that. He was a guy full of pride and ambition. And he saw that Christ could offer him even a little bit more than that, than what he currently had. It's interesting that through church history, and, and you can even go and you can Google this, that there, from this story of Simon, the word simony has come forth in the English language even. And we see this, this is a term that is used within the church for people who would want to buy ecclesiastical, can't even say it, offices and benefits. This is where the whole indulgence thing started that later on brought forth the Reformation when all over Europe people were buying indulgences in order, to, um, in order to, to fund the church. This is called simony, and this is where it got its start. And right then and there, as he asked for this, as he said this, Peter rebukes him right on the spot. In verse 20, he says, But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. But it says that he believed. I mean, he was baptized. I mean, he probably gave some kind of a testimony, didn't he? I mean, everyone was celebrating such good news. I mean, it's legit, wasn't it? Sadly, you see, no. Remember Matthew 7? We looked at that earlier. Lord, Lord, and I did all these things in your name. Depart, never knew you. Now listen, folks, this is really important because there is a believing that does not save even though it rises in the midst or in the presence of true preaching and true miracles. There is a believing that does not save. It's a believing in your head. It's an emotional belief, an intellectual belief, maybe a verbal declaration, but it hasn't taken root in the heart. These were people who saw, I mean, in, in, in John 2, you have a, an account even with Jesus in this. In John 2, verses 23, it says, Many believed in his name 
when they saw the signs that he was doing. And this is sobering in verse 24 of John 2. It says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in all people. These people saw Jesus. They heard Jesus. They witnessed the life, the teaching of Jesus. And they said, and and they were believing, but Jesus was actually able to see what was really going on in their heart. People were more interested in what Jesus could do for them rather than what he would do inside of them. And he sees what is going on even in our hearts today. He knows where we're at. We see the same kind of faith in the parable of the soils. You might want to read this, uh, read this, this, this week in Luke chapter 8. In verse 13, we see the second soil. And, 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 and Jesus said this. He said um, in regards to the second soil. And the, one, and the one on the rocks are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. Meaning they were never saved to begin with. There is such a thing as called the bo- as believing in vain. And James chapter 2 calls this a barren or a dead faith. And sadly over the years this is the testimony that has, has, has been a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Those who start well. Start on fire, but when the times get tough or Jesus doesn't deliver what they thought, that kind of life that they thought he would deliver, they, they flame out, they phase out, they quit, or else they just kind of sit and they continue to go through the motions. No transformation, no work going on. In this room, um, there's various stories of faith. Each one of us would carry, we're all at a different stage in, in our walk with the Lord, in our relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're searching. You're, you, you haven't made a commitment. You're not sure where you stand with God. We trust that today would even bring clarity to that. There are many that would have the testimony, though I was born and raised in a Christian home. I, I said the prayer at vacation Bible school or at summer camp, and, and then I was baptized, and, and it was just kind of the natural, the expected thing to do. And, and, and so basically, I, yeah, I, I assume I'm, I'm saved. I, I assume I'm a Christian, and so does everyone else. But we're told throughout Scripture to examine ourselves. We can sit in church and, 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 and sit Sunday after Sunday. We can serve within a church. We can give leadership within the church. We're all to be examining our hearts and, and examining our walk with God. Or maybe this could be a bit of your story that, yes, you responded to Christ in a time of crisis. You were searching and you found him. And, and maybe it was a response out of fear. Maybe there was f- fear of, of death or illness or somebody died or, or you heard a sermon or you hear people talk about hell and you're like, I don't want to go there. And so, so you prayed this prayer and, and this kind of life, this, this new lifestyle kind of began. Maybe it was you felt you were missing something and, and Jesus just seemed to be that missing puzzle, piece of the puzzle that, that was evading you all of your life. And there's nothing wrong with, with those kind of starting points. God uses our needs to show us that we need him. That he is the only one that can truly save. He's the only one that can truly satisfy. Maybe you responded to Christ because you understood or told that Jesus would make you happy, happy, happy. You want a happy life? Receive Jesus. You were kind of sold. I was involved in sales for a number of years. Um, and, and we were told by our sales uh, the people uh, above us that we are to upsell certain things and not talk about 
the bad part. And the company that we worked for had, had a really good upside to it, but it also had some not so good on, on, on the other side. And, and I said to, said to these uh, people who were in charge, I said, but I have to put my head down on my pillow at night. I, I can't sell something and not just talk about the good without sharing the bad. You know, and, and sometimes in the church, we have this easy believism. We as pastors can just talk about Jesus making you healthy, wealthy, happy. Life is going to be, you just kind of skip along life's path with Jesus. It's going to be amazing. No, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. I totally respect, and yet I'm saddened for a man who walked with us uh, probably um, 10, 12 years ago in, in the church where we are serving, where he came, he got involved in things, and, and he was counting the cost. He, he was really analyzing what it was going to cost if he was going to follow Christ. And, and he even started kind of serving in some areas, just thought, you know what, I'm going to check this out. And, and you'd even see him in the worship service, he'd be listening, he even would sometimes be singing, he'd see his lips move a little bit, and then finally one day it was kind of like, it was time to have the talk. And it was just like, okay, where are you at with all of this? You know, like, are, you know, you're, you're kind of sitting on the fence. Which way are you going? He says, you know what? I'm going to take a pass. He says, I, I think following Jesus will just cost me too much. And I'm not ready to do it. And as far as I know, he, he never has made a commitment yet to the Lord. He was counting the cost. He saw that it wasn't just about, you know, having your best life now. He saw that there was going to be a cost in following Jesus Christ. And there is the incredible, glorious upside, but we also know that the following Jesus Christ means daily surrendering and, and, and living a life of obedience to the word of God, when, especially in a culture that tells us to live oftentimes contrary to his word. Here's the danger. It's when we think that Christianity is primarily about just getting something from Jesus rather than surrendering ourselves to him. We assume that Jesus is someone that we can just add to our life. And, you know, when and if we have the time and, you know, and things get a little troubled, then, you know, I'll kind of turn to him. But till then, I'm just going to kind of just have him there as, as my homeboy. Oh, I can't stand that when people talk like that. And no, he is, he is our savior. He is the Lord. We offer ourselves to him. He's not just an extra tool that you carry in the belt of life and you pull it out when you need it. He's not just an insurance rider, you know, that you might get, you know, like here living in Kelowna, you know, you, you get life and you get or property insurance on your house. And you want to make sure that, especially depending where you live, that you've got some decent insurance in case there's a, a, a fire of some sort, you know. And, and then you think, well, what if there's a flood? And you can, can add a little insurance rider on top of that. And so sometimes we just treat Jesus as just the insurance rider in our life. And we're, we have our finances, we have our pleasures, we have all of these different things. And Jesus just kind of fits in with all of that. True faith true, is understanding um, the love of God, the grace of God, but also the holiness of our God. And the reality of our sin. And, and this is the point that Simon wouldn't get to. He just saw the flashing lights, what Jesus could do for him. And he never understood that he was to be there with his heart under the waterfall of God's grace. And allow in repentance and, and asking him for, for forgiveness to cleanse him and to make him whole and to make him a new man. And so... What do we do? Here's what Peter said to Simon as he rebuked him right out. He said, repent therefore of this wickedness and pray to the Lord 
that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and bound in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray to me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Sadly, there's no sign of, of repentance. The thing that he's most concerned about is like, oh, I might be in the judgment of God. Please pray for me that what you're saying isn't going to happen. Instead of falling on his knees in repentance and just say, you're right, you're right, my heart is evil, it's sinful, and I need Jesus Christ to cover and to fill and to forgive me and to make me whole and new. That's what Peter was telling him to do, was repent and to change the way you're thinking. Change your actions. Change your life. Sadly, in the case of Simon, he, he didn't show that repentance or sorrow. And he just asked that he would, they would pray for him that he wouldn't, he would escape God's judgment. And according to the early church fathers and writers, and there were a number who wrote about him, Justin Martyr wrote this about him. He said, Simon was honored near the end of his life in Rome. He made it to Rome. Successful. There was a statue there. Semino Senko Deo, to Simon, holy God. He made a name for himself, but it wasn't as a follower of Jesus Christ. He was successful, had a statue made in his honor. People saw his power, his greatness as holy God. But he's even remembered in a greater way as Simony. Simon the sorcerer, the one who thought he could buy his salvation one who thought he could buy spiritual power. In the end, he didn't repent. And it's a story of a sad life. Finally, we see true gospel living produces awe and amazement. Verse 25, it says, Now that they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages among the Samaritans. I mean, this is, again, just an amazing picture that now other regions of Samaria are receiving the gospel. As, as Peter and John head back towards Jerusalem, they're preaching wherever they go. The gospel continued to spread. In the next two stories, read ahead in the book of Acts. You'll see some incredible stories, amazing stories of God's amazing grace that the gospel is available to all. Stories of transformation that are so different than the story of Simon. Folks, I want you to know I, I struggled with this text this week, and, and I sent some folks some um, just um, a, a text message or an email and just said, hey, pray for me. This is a tough one. Um, because this isn't a sermon that necessarily leaves you feeling tingly and happy on the inside. And don't we all want to just leave church happy? And you know what God's plan is that we leave here pursuing his holiness. These kind of messages don't necessarily grow a, a bigger church, but you know what it does? It grows a truer church. And a truer church um, is a powerful church. And that's what we are asking God for, to do in each one of our lives. You see, true gospel living produces awe and amazement. And a truer church will lead to that powerful church, that work of God. Second Peter, Peter of all people, later on writes, in 2 Peter 1.10, he said, Confirm your calling. Examine your heart. It will keep you from struggling. 
Is Jesus just someone, an add-on in your life? If some men are talking and, and the husband says, as he's talking with these other men, and he says, well, I'm, I'm faithful to my wife. Well, 99% of the time, I'm faithful to my wife. Is he faithful to his wife if it's 99%? No. Well, I'm almost surrendered to Jesus in, every, in, in everything in my life, but there's a few things I'm holding on to. Are you ready? Are you willing to count the cost? To be 100% in, surrendered, examining your heart. You say, oh yeah, Meldon, yeah, been there, done that. Have you done that today? Have you surrendered those people in your life, those children, grandchildren, that relationship, your spouse, your job, whoever it is, do you continue to keep bringing it to Jesus, putting it under under his rule, under his authority. In an attitude of repentance. True faith is total surrender, not just partial. God's word calls us to repent. That's what Peter said to Simon. Hey, you know what? Yeah, you've exposed my heart. There's stuff here. Peter said, repent. Repent, and when we do, when we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive us our sins. When we place ourselves at the foot of the cross, we experience the waterfall of his grace. And as it's flowing down on it, we see a holy God. We see a loving God. We see an amazing giving God who gave his son to die on the cross. That's what we were singing earlier about this incredible grace and the love of God being poured down upon us. And we are in awe and we are amazement. Even as a church in the end of the message is going to mention about heart resurgence. But this is really the message of heart resurgence. It's having our hearts renewed. Having God do this new, this fresh work, leading us out of bondage of slavery in Egypt into life in the promised land. Life here in victory. And as we close this song um, and ask the band to come up, encourage you to take this as a, um, a song. I mean, you couldn't come up with a better song to, to close this message. I mean, these words here that we're going to be singing, I trust they would be a declaration. Maybe you're not there yet because ultimately we're all a work in progress. None of us have arrived. Only Jesus has arrived. Until we get to heaven, we haven't arrived. But if this is a declaration in your heart, I would encourage you to sing. Maybe to even further that declaration and just saying, listen, this is something that I want to hit home. That I'm all in. That I'm you know, at the, that God has done this work and, and, and that um, this would be a strong declaration that Christ is enough. I've trusted in Christ and I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I encourage you to even come and just to the front. You may want to kneel. You just want to, may want to sit in one of the seats here or kneel in one of the seats, however it is, and just surrender your life as, as, as an all-in sacrifice to him. I encourage you to do that. Let's... Worship together.